I was like, Jim, you gonna run this with me? Jim, that, that was Jim. That was the end of Jim. Yeah, that was it. Right. No yeah, gassers, right? No that gassers. was it. No gassers. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Our guest this week has a lot of history and not much he wants to forget in any way, shape, or form. If you look up the term journeyman quarterback in the dictionary, you might find this guy's picture, Josh McCown. But his story is remarkable, and his persistence to find a way to stay in the NFL for so many years with so many different teams is absolutely a joy. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Josh McCown. All right, so if you could describe the Josh McCown NFL experience in like one phrase, in your words, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh, well, we tried to express it on the wall behind us, but uh, journey, <laughs> journeyman. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think that's probably uh, that's the, the one word phrase would be a journeyman. I, I think, um, you know, uh, boxes and tape you know, is another way I would, I would describe it. I think my wife would describe it that way, but, but yeah, just a lot of stops and, and, uh, um, not probably what you come into the league expecting or wanting. Um, but you know what, Trey, I wouldn't change it. I think, I think all these experiences were so special and, uh, we laugh about like hanging, you know, the jerseys, but there's so many guys like I don't have a house big enough to put the, all the teammates that I love up there. Like a lot of guys put their favorite up there. And so, for us, it just reminds us of that stop and that stop and that stop and, and the, all the great people that we got to meet along the way. So just the journey, I think the journeyman probably would be the best phrase. All right. So we'll get to the NFL journey in a minute, but I always like hearing the backstory. So how did your journey in football begin? When did you realize, hey, I I, I like this and I might be good at it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I don't know if I ever thought I was good at it, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, uh, we had uh, pads growing up and we'd play in the yard and, and, you know, growing up in, in Texas, you know, you grow up watching the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Oilers and, and, uh, and, you know, we, we'd come home from church. We'd t t turn that game on and about halftime of that game, we'd go out in the yard, me and my brothers and my dad, and we would, we would throw the ball around and we would start playing and we would try to be the people that we saw on TV, you know, and, especially as a kid growing up late late 80s early 90s you're watching the cowboys dominate with with troy and emmett who i eventually played with and michael and the guys and uh and so just fell in love with the game that way um remember very early my favorite player being joe montana and then you know kind of as i got into high school and started really understanding football brett Favre was winning mvps uh my first first jersey i had was randall cunningham um and uh just loved how he played uh for the eagles and so uh i just and and we, we were we were texas people but and so i loved playing all, all the time at recess and all that stuff and, and followed the cowboys and Oilers. but i just remember loving the whole league um just yeah. just loving watching football on sunday afternoons and uh and so i think yeah very early and uh just grew up in a competitive household that loved sports uh we were always in a sporting event one way or the other whether it was football or basketball and uh, but I think as as our, you know, kind of talents shaped up, football began to, you know, take over more and more of our, our of our uh, time and infatuation. And, and so, yeah, it was very early and, and uh, just credit to probably my, my folks and my dad for getting us out there and uh, running us around the yard, letting us run into each other a little bit and, and, and learn what that feels like and uh, all that stuff. 
So I, I think that's an important point because I don't think unless you grew up in Texas or Western Pennsylvania, there are certain pockets or Ohio where high school football is absolutely king. I don't think you can quantify how important football becomes in those certain areas of the country. Like, you know, every every other state likes to, a lot of states like to claim we're the best football state, you know, Florida, California, Pennsylvania, Texas, even New Jersey to some degree. But the idea of the hold that football had on the state of Texas, people, people, if they're not from there, you really don't understand how powerful that is. No, no, you don't. And I, I mean, I, I do think you're hitting hitting on it the, the high school, uh, the high school football aspect of it. And uh, I, I think for most people from Texas, you, you just it was integrated into kind of you know uh, the toughness, and you talk about Western PA and and, and Ohio and and those those kind of those type of areas um, where I think those things were, you know, culturally or, or, or whatever, just highly valued. And, uh, and then just the sense of community uh, that comes with, with high school football. And uh, a lot of these uh, high schools in Texas, especially in small towns, just similar to where we live now, where the heartbeat of the community is based on the football program. And, um, and you can walk into, uh, you know, a lot of small businesses in the community and, and uh, that person has a connection to the, whether they have a kid play on the team, whether that person themselves played football in that program and it means something to them. And, and, uh, and the legacies and the stories and listening to my uncles talk about it. And my dad talk about uh, their high school football teams and this team was better than that team. And, Oh yeah, we, we lost to that team in the third round of the playoffs, all those things you, you, you get indoctrinated with as a young uh, as a young kid, you know, hearing those stories and wanting to be a part of that, wanting to be a part of that tradition that goes through these high schools. And, and some things are good, some things are not. But I think overall, yeah. the sense of community that comes with it uh, when it's stewarded the right way is very positive for a young person. Yeah, I mean, like I grew up on the East Coast, but my parents are both from Texas. So we had tons of relatives in the state. And I, I felt like sort of I was a Texan by osmosis, and maybe that's why I love the game. I wanted to play. I was just terrible at it. So uh, when when did you sort of make the transition from, like, liking football and playing with your family to going into the organized football thing? And when how did that sort of develop your relationship that took you into college and the NFL? Yeah. Uh, so I, we didn't – you know, small town here, and it's different everywhere, but small rural community, we didn't have uh, – like a, a huge, robust, like Pop Warner League. Uh, so right. a lot of times you, you didn't get to start playing until uh, sixth or seventh grade. We had hired a, uh, we, had, we had gone through a coaching change in our program um, uh, by a guy by the name of Danny Long came in and, and, and became the head coach. And he was coming uh, from, uh, from a, a story program over in Marshall, Texas with Dennis Parker, who had ties to uh, to uh, San Antonio and Converse Judson and and just this this historic Texas football program and he brought this program to our high school and it was a holistic thing it wasn't just saying hey boy show up in August and let's let's try to let's try to win a few games it was in January you're starting with an off season a real off season program where you're doing uh, you know kind of boot camp type things to build team to build uh, discipline all these things and it totally flipped our our program upside down and during that just those those processes and those iterations of of team as we went through i just remember falling in love with that and just like man this is what it's about it's about getting guys to come together and try to accomplish something greater than our greater than ourselves 
and um and through those programs you know uh, they identified positions very early uh started training uh quarterbacks very early we had a quarterback coach by the name of matt turner who still to this day is probably one of the greatest coaches i've ever been around in my life and he's uh largely responsible for developing my older brother uh randy who went on to texas a&m myself and then my younger brother and uh and we were the beneficiaries of that uh but just the detail that they came with it was it was unbelievable and uh and it's really shaped kind of the course of our lives and, and careers and uh and so um so i would say it was you know junior high to high school and then as as my skill set grew and my physical ability grew it all matched but um but those guys bringing in that program is i think what made me fall in love with with the game and wanting to be a part of a team Side note, uh, I mentioned my family from Texas. My mom's sister lived and grew and uh, raised her family in Marshall, Texas. So I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about the passion in, in Marshall, Texas. Now, you just said something very interesting. You said as your, your love for the game matured and your physical self matured. And those things were sort of on different paths for a while, right? Oh, 1,000%. I mean, my love for the game was up here. My physical self was still down here at about five foot four. And, uh, you know, you, you go through different stages in life and, and I'm sitting there, uh, you know, my older brother, you know, he, he's a varsity quarterback as a 10th grader and has this uh, great high school career and wildly recruited by everybody in the country. And, and I remember, you know, Lloyd Carr calling our house at midnight to recruit my older brother. And, and I mean, just all of these things. And then you're the little brother that's supposed to fill in the footsteps. And I'm, I'm just, I, you know. I'm kind of standing in the mirror, squinting and like hoping and like trying to make yourself grow, you know, Trey, I mean, yeah. just, and so, uh, so there was a, there was a coach, uh, who's now, uh, the head coach of, of, uh, UTSA, uh, by the name of Jeff trailer. And Jeff was a young high school coach on, on that staff that I mentioned. And, uh, and he really poured into me and, you know, when I was in my brother's shadow and just kind of, he really poured into me and just, and just helped me believe in myself. And uh, a lot of that had to do with basketball. He was our ninth grade basketball coach, but just really, really poured into me and and uh, and kept me believing. I, I walked in uh, as a as a junior in high school. I, I did not start. I was not the varsity quarterback as a, as a eleventh uh, grader, and I didn't start. And I walked in probably a week three and said, "I'm done. Like I'm I'm, I'm going to play basketball. I'm not playing this game." You know, I just I didn't want to deal with it. And I still wasn't physically. I mean, I had grown to about probably five eleven, six foot. And then uh, the coach was like, have you called your dad yet? You know, <laughs> that deal. And right. so dad was like, get your butt back out there. You're, you're playing football. You know, thank God because it worked out. But uh, that offseason grew a few more inches. And the love for the game and, and the physical growth was starting to match up. And, uh, and just had a, had a great offseason and ended up having a, having a good senior year and, and was able to get a scholarship to, uh, to SMU. But, but, yeah, that was, there was a big gap for a long time there. And uh, my driver's yeah. license said so. When I was 16, it said five for four. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, I, I had to get that changed quickly. Once I turned 21, it said it on there for a while in college and yeah. guys would look at it and go, you, hey, I'm not letting you in here because you know, you know, you're six for four and this thing says five for four. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a gap for sure. As a, uh, also a late bloomer, believe me, I'm, I'm very familiar with the pain that comes with that when you see these kids everywhere you know, and you're looking up like this and they're all talking like this and you're like, hi guys, what's going on? Good to no see doubt. you. You know, no those, those scars stay forever. Like you're six, four now and you had an unbelievable career. I'm six, three, but I still to this day cringe when I, I still have my driver's license when I was 16. I swear to God, I look like I'm seven. 
Yeah, no doubt. No, I mean, like I yeah. coach high school football now, and uh, I connect so much with those those kids. You know what I mean? Like you see yeah. the you see this the, the the scrawny kid, and he and you're just like, buddy, just you know, yeah. hang, hang in, in there. there, man. Hang in there, man. Yeah. Hang in there because you're right. I mean, it, you know, uh, it, there there's a lot of sleepless nights, and you're just laying in bed, going, man, what the heck? You know, what, what's the world coming to? Am I ever going to grow? Type of deal. So, for sure, for sure, you carry that forever. Yeah, you know, I went to college in Texas. I went to Baylor, so I'm very familiar with the whole SMU thing, the SMU scandal, the polo ponies, you know, the death penalty, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Like we lived it in real time. Okay, so what was it about SMU that appealed to you? Because this was post death penalty. Yeah. So and 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 you said it. I mean, I had two schools really trade that Baylor and SMU were the only two schools that, uh, like I said, I only started one year. The only two schools that came after me at all, really, that recruited me. Um, and, uh, and I, it was, I was kind of back and forth. Dave Roberts, I believe was a head coach at Baylor at yep, the time. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Cavan was at SMU and, um, and, you know, I, I just think, uh, the fit that the Warren Beelan's a long, long time linebacker coach, been in the NFL and, and throughout college, he recruited me and, and, uh, I had a great relationship with him and he really was probably the difference maker in me choosing SMU over Baylor. Um, but it was, that was five years with that 97, 98, so it's five, six years after the death penalty. And they were trying to get the program back, trying, trying, trying. And I, I believe our class was one of the better classes, you know, that they had had since they had, they had, uh, you know, kind of come back, but it was so, you know, when you, when you walk the campus and, and even, you know, when you interacted with the other football players and just, it was that the death penalty was so devastating because of just the, the lack of talent on the roster and and just how hard it was to come back and then, and then what you were trying to unpack mentally for the guys that had already been been there um, and just dealt with the losses so uh, so it was a tough time and uh, and you know sometimes you look at it and you go man maybe that was prepare me for my future because <laughs> because there was going to be stops along the way whether it was you know Oakland or Cleveland or some of these places that I've been where you know they're trying to get it right and uh and so um so yeah uh I was there for SMU for three years and then ended up transferring to Sam Houston State but uh but met my wife at SMU and and it was you know so all was not lost it was it was a good good move for me you, you mentioned your senior year, you transferred to Sam Houston State, and this was before the portal and all this kind of stuff where you can do this. What was it? Because you had success at SMU in terms of the way you played. What made you decide to want to transfer for your senior year? Yeah, so uh, we. you're right. I mean, I started I started as a true freshman, and every game I started six, seven, eight games for, for three years, okay, you know, yeah. and – we, I think we went through three or four offensive coordinators while I was in those three years. And, uh, and so again, preparing you for the future. No, no doubt. No doubt. Add them <laughs> to the list. And, uh, and so, you know, I think when you go through those kind of coaching changes, there's obviously a player change. So I would get benched for a game or two because I well, let's see if it's a quarterback. Well, it's not the quarterback, put him back in there. It's the coach, you know? Yeah. And so there was all, and just, so for three years, just having dealt with that, and uh, I just said, you know what? I want to go have fun. I'm, I got one year left of football guaranteed to me. Um, uh, uh, one of the scouts, I believe, uh, it was Alonzo Highsmith, who I believe was in Green Bay, uh, scouting in yeah. Green Bay at the time, he, he visited SMU and he said, look, man, like you, you have the size, the frame to play in the NFL. You know, I remember him telling me that. And, and my older brother had gone through 
you know, that process and, and didn't get an opportunity in the NFL. So I was like, yeah, he's heard that, you know, we've heard that before and it didn't work. I just want to go play football. I just want to go have fun. And uh, one of my good friends from high school was down at Sam Houston State. And he said, look, man, we got a really good team coming back. We just were kind of in between that quarterback, you know. And so uh, so I ended up transferring down there. And it was wonderful. Had a great had a great year. Uh, we, you know, I think we won, you know, the first playoff game in school history or one of the first playoff games or whatever. It was just it was a lot of fun. And uh, Sam Houston was everything I, I needed at that time and, and was able to just enjoy playing football. And we had a really good team. Uh, we had, you know, uh, Keith Davis played safety for the Cowboys for a number of years. And, and then Keith Heinrich was also drafted tight end by Carolina Panthers and Keith, Keith got six or seven years in the league too. So we had a fun team. Um, and so I'm, you know, really thankful for that decision. I wanted to stick it out. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to transfer. You're right. It was well before the portal, but, uh, but it was the best thing for me in that moment. And, and uh, I'm certainly glad I did. Well, it certainly worked out for you. 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions that one year. So as you're piling up the numbers, was there a point where someone, whether it's one of your coaches or a scout, sort of got in your ear and said, hey, you you might be able to do this at the next level? Yeah, I mean, uh, there were scouts coming through, you know. And I remember I think we played a game early uh, against Tarleton State, and there was a quarterback there that they had. I want to say his name was – Steve Kelly, but I could be wrong. He had transferred from Miami, and uh, and there was a load of scouts at that game to see him. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, I went out and played well, and we won the game. And then the next week, I just remember tons of scouts coming to practice, coming by, saying hello, and and, and all of them kind of giving me that same uh, that same vibe of just like, hey, you know, this is going to be this is going to be, you know, you got a real chance here. But I, but Trey, I don't, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I love basketball. Like I love basketball. Yeah. And, uh, and so I played the whole summer with, with the men's team there at, at Sam Houston and we would hoop every day, you know, and I would, and, you know, we would just, we would, we would go to little tournaments, you know, around Texas and we would play. And, and, and so in my mind, I was like, listen, I'm going to play this senior year. And, you know, unless it's just a slam dunk that I'm going to the NFL, I'm, I'm going to play basketball for Sam Houston. Like, that's what I want to do. I talked to the coach about it. He's like, yeah, come out, whatever. And get to the end of the season and, well, playoffs, we go to Montana, we get beat. Um, and so, you know, I bummed or whatever. But all in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to play basketball. I can't wait. And, uh, and so I get ready to do this like a week or two after. And, of course, agents are reaching out and, and agents are like, you, you know, you don't need to you don't need to play basketball, dude, you're going to get drafted. Yeah. And I'm like, same thing with my brother. I'm like, yeah, you know, my family's heard that before. Like I'm, right. I'm going to maximize this opportunity to play ball. And, and so, uh, so I was sitting with a scout in the film room in Sam Houston and we're watching, we're talking through, watching, talking to him. And he paused the tape and he looks at me and he goes, dude, you're going to be like a first day back then, you know, rounds one through three, you're going to be a first day pick, man. And I'm like, come on, dude. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you, you're, you're, second, third round type of player. And he goes, this basketball stuff is so stupid. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so, you know, that is really, it really hit me, I guess. And talking to some more people around the basketball program, they're like, Hey, yeah, you don't need to play basketball, dude. Like the scouts are telling us to not let you play basketball. So, uh, connected with my agent, my agent, same thing it was just like, you need to, you know, you need to play, you know, you need to, let's start working out. You're going to, you know, be a high, high pick, get ready for the combine. And so the combine letter comes in, you know, all those things start happening. You're like, okay, this is going to be real. Like 
these people aren't right. lying. And, uh, and so I, you know, committed to working out for the combine and going out after that. Um, but, uh, but so it was, it was, that was kind of my process to figuring it out. Like, like, Hey, I really, I really got a shot at this thing. So. Well, it, it turns out you did, and those scouts were right. So why don't we take our first break here. When we come back on Half Forgotten History, we'll talk about the, the next evolution and his transformation into the NFL. Stay with us. We're coming right back with Josh McCown. All right, time for our Mercedes-Benz trivia question. Now, Josh McCown has 98 career touchdown passes. We want to know which team did he throw the most for and which receiver caught the most of his 98 career touchdown passes. We'll give you the answers in the next break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, back with Josh McCown on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So it turns out they weren't lying to you. Uh, everybody was right, uh, and it was going to be a first-day pick for you. But obviously the draft in 2002, slightly different than the spectacle that it is now. <laughs> so what was what was your draft day experience like waiting to hear your name called? Yeah, uh, oh man, it was, you know, we had people at the house, and, and, and we were kind of realistic about it. I mean, uh, people had said for anywhere from second to fourth round, all right? So we knew that we were kind of in between. And, and you're right. It was not the spectacle. Um, at that time, it was the longest first day ever. And I think they always, they break that record every year. Um, but, uh, but I was the third rounder, 81st pick. So it had been a long day. And, uh, and I just remember sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and, and thinking, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not today. That's all right. You know, and, um, and then the phone rings and it's Arizona and it's Dave McGinnis. And, you know, you just say, hey, man, Josh, you know, this is Dave McGinnis, head coach of Arizona Cardinals, and we just want you to know you're going to be a Cardinal. We're going to pick you. Uh, and I just remember standing there, um, you know, my older brother was right there with me. Like I said, he'd gone through the process and not, you know, not heard his name called. So uh, we were both just very emotional. And uh, and it was just a cool, you know, a cool a cool moment. And a lot of family, friends, uh, my, my, my future wife was there. I mean, everybody was there. And uh, – and so it was just an awesome opportunity to celebrate with them and everybody who had a hand in uh, and me getting to that moment. So, um, so yeah, it was a, it was a special phone call. And you go to Arizona where I believe at the time Jake was still there, right? Jake Plummer was, Jake was snake. ensconced as a quarterback, right? Like he was a, a former guest on Half Forgotten History, by the way. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he was a legend, played at Arizona State, got drafted by the Cardinals. So what were your expectations or realistic thoughts about what you could be knowing that, you know, Jake Plummer was sort of there as a starting quarterback? Well, you know, I, I think – when you grow up in a small, small town, like some of that stuff is so far off from you. Like you feel like all yeah. the people on TV, especially back then, like outside of the day and age of social media, they're like aliens. Like, like you can't touch those yeah. people They're you know, and then you get around them and you go, okay, they're regular people. All right. And, and so you start to feel that through the combine process. You start seeing other college quarterbacks and I played in the senior bowl. You start seeing all these other guys that you watch on TV and you're like, oh man, I can throw, I can throw the ball as good as him, or I can do this, you know. So, I think getting there um, with Jake and watching his skill set and and watching how much he connected with the guys and and just how he dealt with being the local hero, 
uh, out of ASU. Uh, I think it was great uh, for me as a young player, and he was awesome. I mean, uh, Jake was so. Uh, he, I mean, he, he there was a lot of good. There was good give and take, but um, but never like you know the over the top hazing or anything to kind of make me feel you know uncomfortable. It was always it was a lot of fun. Like Jake's a lot of fun, <laughs> and uh, and so. Um, so, you know, I couldn't go to a better place, in my opinion, just, you know, to start my career and then just to watch him, uh, you know, how he played, how he, how, he, how he took himself through a game week and all that stuff was great. And, uh, and I think for me, um, having, you know, kind of having some athleticism, some, uh, the ability to run a little bit was good to watch how Jake managed that and, and, you know, learn to play from the pocket, but, you know, be able to scramble. And it's certainly not what it is today with some of these guys, but, um, but uh but yeah it was a it was a great transition for me i was really you know really looking back very very thankful that that it worked out with arizona was there a play in a game or in a scrimmage or in a preseason game where you did something and you're like oh yeah i i i i can play on this level oh man uh yeah i think there there was a i'll never i mean i don't know if 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 it was that moment but i'll i i can remember this very clearly uh, uh, stepping into the – Jake was taking a day off or something like that in OTAs. And this was back when, like, OTAs were new. Like, Real. we call them yeah. OTAs. Like, they were just – everybody was trying to figure out, like, what do we call this, you know, type of thing. And uh, and Jake was taking a day off, and I was in the, the first-team huddle. And uh, Jason McCadley, who we had drafted out of uh, Alabama receiver um, – he was in. He By the was way, this was this was pre when all when all the good receivers went to Alabama, right? This is a, this was a <laughs> yeah, different yeah. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jason was like f- f- maybe fifth round pick, I think. Um, uh, speed, but you know, not you know what? Yeah, he wasn't. This we're not dealing with Devontae Smith, but Jason was a very good player, and uh, and um, and I get in a huddle, and and uh, you know, I think I was kind of I was just being myself, which is probably a little bit too much rah rah for uh for uh somebody like pete kendall but um but uh you know um and i think they were like hey rook it's a freaking ota man relax uh but i was fired <laughs> up and uh yeah. and we had a we had a go route we had like double go called it was i remember i remember it now it's, it was uh it was um i write act six uh 989 and which is double go uh in the digit system and uh and jason mccallie was on the right and I threw him a go ball, and I remember like running down and celebrating with. <laughs> you, you would have thought we won a Super Bowl, and both he because we're both rookies, so we thought right. it was just like awesome. And you know, like the context of it was, you know, like really, an OTA against the Arizona Cardinal defense, which I, you know, which wouldn't, you know, would not be confused with 80, 85 Bears by any stretch. And so, <laughs> uh, so you know, we. But we're celebrating, and but after that, I just remember thinking, like, yeah, I can play at this level, like I, I belong yeah. here, and uh, and um, and so yeah, I, I think that was for me one of the early moments uh, on on a field and at OTAs that I, I think gave me a lot of confidence to go, okay, you can do this. So you were with Arizona for four years. Did you think you were going to always be an Arizona Cardinal? Yes, I mean that's the. At least, you know, we, we talked about it. Like, you, when you grow up watching Troy Aikman and you grow up watching these, you know, Joe Montana and, and, and these guys that are with their teams their their whole career. I know Joe played with the Chiefs at the end. But, like, right. you grow up watching these guys and it was just – that was my idea. Like, like, once I started believing I could play, it was like, oh, I want to get this, you know, if I become the starter here, 
uh, I want to be the, you know, the franchise quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals for the next 10 years, 12 years. I think that's every young quarterback's dream. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, and obviously it was that, that my story ended up different, but, but I, yeah, I mean, that was the goal. Like it was never, you know, it was never to leave, um, necessarily. Uh, but you understand the business side of it. And as it starts to unfold and, and, uh, and, you know, it, yeah, I ended up in Detroit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I went in that place for sure. Wanting to be the guy, you know, to, to help turn that thing around and get it rolling. Well, it's interesting because if that's your mindset, then how do you deal with the next four years? As you said, you, you move on from Arizona and then it's the Lions in 06, the Raiders in 07, the Dolphins for a little bit in 08 until they signed Chad Pennington and then they released you. And then the Carolina Panthers, you were there for two years, 2008, 2009. How do you deal mentally with the guy who says, I want to be here forever? And suddenly you find it's just, okay, here, 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 and here. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, and we're having, you know, life is happening too. We're having babies along the way and, you know, there's a a whole lot of life going on. And I think for, for us, you know, just for, for, for the way our home operate, you know, just from a a faith standpoint, just trusting, trusting that there's a plan and, uh, and, um, you know, working as hard as we can and just having peace at the end of the day going, you know what, gave it all I had there. And, um, and for whatever reason, I'm moving from here to there, you know, and, uh, and some of it's obviously on, on me, uh, you know, you, you got to play better. I mean, but you know, I'm in Detroit, didn't, didn't really get a shot to, at that job. So I asked to be traded, yeah, traded to, yeah. to, to, to Oakland. And so some of those things were, were on us, but, um, but just, I think that's, that's how we dealt with it was just, you know, believing that there's a bigger, a, a, a bigger picture and a bigger plan in place. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's easy. And, uh, I think, uh, I was learning things at all those stops, you know, I mean, um, uh, you know, got to play with, with uh, some great guys in, in, uh, Detroit, you know, um, John Kidna learned so much from him from a quarterback standpoint, Dan, Dan Orlovsky was our third quarterback. Who's, you know, worldwide superstar now on, on TV. And then, uh, Dan Campbell's, you know, freaking head coach. And Dan was our tight end. And so the people that we got to be around along the way, Lane Kiffin was what Lane was like 33 or like, he felt like my brother yeah. was coaching me in Oakland. Right. And, uh, and now he's, you know, he's doing awesome. And then go to, go to Miami and spend the off season there. Favre comes out of retirement, kicks the domino uh, down the road with, with the jets and, and Pennington Parcells calls me in and says, no hard feelings. We're signing, we're signing Chad because we drafted him years ago. And so I get traded, spin up like, Literally, Trey spent like uh, probably ten to fourteen days with Chad. All right, this is this is one of my favorites. So Chad gets there, and he's there for not even not even forty eight hours. And we're playing Jacksonville on a Thursday night, and Chad, you know, Chad's like a Rose Scholar, okay. And so right. I'm, I, you know, Kurt Warner at the end of my uh, Arizona time, like I'm getting good, you know, John Kitt and I, I've been around Jake. We already talked about. I've been around some really good players, right, and some and some sharp quarterbacks. And so now Chad gets in there and, you know, um, Chad gets the guys before the game, before the Jacksonville game, and he's going through the whole playbook and he's going through the splits of the receivers. Hey, okay, on this concept, you're top of the numbers, right? And if the ball's in the hash, you're minus two from the top of the numbers, right? And you're going to be here and you're going to be there. And he's just taking – it's like a beautiful mind. And I learned so much from that in the sense of ownership, just extreme ownership. And I talked to Chad afterwards. Everybody, you know, gets out of the room 
And then, of course, we go out the, the next day against Jacksonville, and Chad goes ding, 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 right down the field, touchdown. And I'm like, holy cow, man. And I remember talking to Chad and just thinking, like, what, what the heck? And, you know, and in the process, like, I was helping Chad learn the playbook, trying to get him up. Yeah. And, like, he would, he would learn from me, and then he would, he would translate it to the guys how he wanted it. And I learned very quickly. He was just like, man, it's my butt out there. Like, at the end of the day, like, I know we have coaches, and I know we, you know, and they install a system, but when you're the quarterback, it's your butt out there. And so, uh, so this win-loss record is as much on us as it is on anybody, and we have to take ownership of it. And, I, and, and he said, in my physical skill set, I'm not going to run around and, and wow people with my athleticism. I need guys to be where they're supposed to be so that I can play on time. And I need that meeting to make sure that they're where they're supposed to be. And that just stuck with me. And I, I was out of the league after that and got back in or whatever, but that stuck with me of just like ownership, like take ownership of your, you know, like whatever you have to do to make sure the guys around you are prepared, do that because like, like Chad said, you, you know, your butt's on the line. So that was a, a, a really a pivotal moment and what probably helped me play uh, so much longer after that. I got to ask you about Dan Campbell because I worked with Tim Hasselbeck for a little bit and, and they were teammates for a while. Uh, and then you know he got the interim job in Miami a few years ago, and you know he was just all piss and vinegar and bravado and all this kind of stuff. We sort of you know, not made fun of him, but had fun with him. You know, man, Campbell. You know, what can he do for you? <laughs> so right. So what were your what was your reaction when you found out that your former teammate, who was kind of out there as as a player, uh, was going to attempt to be a head coach in the NFL? Loved it. So Dan and I go way back. Dan was in the same recruiting class at Texas A&M as my older brother. So wow. I've known Dan since I was in junior high. Okay. And and then fast forward, you know, what, 10 years later, we're on the same team in Detroit. Um, and then and then he gets into coaching and you kind of follow him along and watch the interim thing in Miami. And it, like everything, like what you see is what you get. And I, and I think a lot of times for a locker room that resonates and, uh, and, uh, he, he is, you know, man, Cam, I mean, you said it like he is, yeah. he, his heart is on his sleeve and, uh, he cares. He loves the game. He works tirelessly at it. Um, it, you know, he was a player at tight end where he was more of a, an inline blocking tight end. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, you wouldn't be mistake for, he's not catching catch. 40. Again. He's not catching 40 a season. No. And when you, and when you operate in that mindset, similar to what, what Chad said, like, when you are probably physically skilled deficient than some other people, you learn how to prepare. You learn how to cut the corners in your brain and, and get really good at football. And so um, so I think a career spent like that for Dan Campbell, and then you couple that with a passion, I think it's what's allowed him to, to step into that role. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're obviously climbing a big hill there in, in Detroit, but they're on a two-gamer here and, and, you know, wishing the best. But not like the hard knocks, how he's conducted. None of that is a surprise. Like that is who he yeah. is all the time. And, uh, and I think that's genuine. I think guys love that. Well, listen, I, I, I like listening to him talk, whether it's going to work long-term, I have no idea, but I like, he could sell me life insurance. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Dan Campbell, like that, that's the thing that he brings across. And I love hearing those kind of stories because Tim told me some of the same stories about him. So I just had, had to get you on that. So after all these times, then you're sort of out of the league for a year. You go play with the Hartford Colonials of the USFL. Then there's a lockout, right? And you can't sign anybody. At this point, you're thinking, it might be it for me. Yeah, I, I really did. Um, and uh, I was kind of like, man, I guess, I guess you know, I'll give it a, I'll give it a play in the UFL, give it a year, and, uh, and then you'll know, see what happens. And we're locked out. 
And my neighbor had come up to me and said, Hey, you want to, you know, you want to coach high school football? And I was like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, would you be interested in coming around the team? And so I get around the team, the local team there. It's, it's also where my, my oldest was going to go to high school. And I, and, uh, and the coach like, Hey, would you like to coach? Like, yeah, I love to coach. Um, so in my mind, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to in different, you know, it, it, states are different, you know? Uh, right. and I was like, man, I don't know if I, if I'm ready to teach and do all that whole thing, because that's how, it, you know, it's more how it is in Texas. And he's like, no, you don't have to, you know, it's more volunteer basis here in North Carolina. So I was like, well, great, I'll, I'll do this. So I'm into that for like two weeks and enjoying that, like coaching and, you know, uh, striping fields and just all in. And then uh, Jeep Christ, who was the quarterback coach in Arizona, who drafted me, he was at San Fran with, with Harbaugh. And Jeeper calls me up and he says, hey, how you want to come do a workout for us? What kind of shape are you in? I was like, I'm in great shape. You know, I've been running around high school field throwing balls and striping fields in the middle of summer. Like, I'm, I'm ready to roll. He said, well, come out, man, uh, because this lockout's going to get lifted. And, you know, we've drafted a young quarterback out of Nevada, uh, which was Colin Kaepernick. We've drafted Cap, and but we don't know if he's going to be ready because he's not been through OTAs because right. we've been locked out. And we may need a veteran. So I go out there and uh, and work out for those guys, okay? This was the best. So I get out there, and Jim – um, Jim's out there in his uh in, in his khakis and his black shirt, you know, kind of how he coached. Of course, he's got cleats on his uniform. He, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, and he's like, "Hey, you uh, you care if I do this workout with you?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, let's do it." So like, we're playing burnout as we're warming up because that's Jim, and you know, we start getting into the routes, and Jeep's like, "Hey, let's throw a stick, let's throw this, let's throw that," and Jim's throwing every route with me. Boom, 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 boom. You know, it was fun. It was awesome. You know, and uh. And so we get done, and um, and you know Trent Belkey was the GM at the time, and they're like, "All right, let's go over here on the side. You're gonna run some gassers, see what kind of shape you're in." Oh. So I was like, "Oh yeah, great." I was like, "Jim, you gonna run these with me?" Jim, that, that was Jim. That was the end of Jim. Yeah, that was it. Right? No yeah, gassers, right? No that gassers. was it. <laughs> no gassers. So uh, so. Um, so yeah, so I, I so I run the gassers, and they're like, "Hey, we, you know, we want to sign you or whatever." So. End up signing with them, playing a couple weeks uh, in the preseason, and uh, and uh, and then not making the roster. Uh, we had uh, there was a we played San Diego the last game, and I had, San Diego had a kid. I can't. I'm drawing a blank now. Wisconsin quarterback um, that uh, God, good good look. Scott Tolzien. Scott, Scott Tolzien, Tolzien, yeah, yeah. Also went Scott, to the Packers for a while. Yeah, number thirteen. Yeah. So Scott yeah, yeah. plays for San Diego. Lights it up in the fourth preseason game. So, uh, so they're like, you know, if we can put him on the practice squad, we will. I think at that point I was out of, not like now, I was out of practice squad eligibility. So they're like, you know what? Um, so they cut me. And uh, that was my first conversation about coaching, you know, kind of uh, in the NFL and any kind of, I just asked Jim because he had kind of, you know, been a longtime quarterback or whatever and just, hey, why'd you get into coaching? And it was a great conversation. When he cut me, I was like, hey, well, I got you yeah. here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so. We oh, hey, one more it. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we talked about that. So then I, I go back, uh, coach a high school season in North Carolina. Um, you know, I spend the whole high school season as the quarterback coach in North Carolina. And then we lose in the second round of the playoffs the same week that uh, Jay Cutler hurts his thumb against San Diego. And the phone rings, and it's, uh, and it's Chicago. And so that's – and I go join their roster, and that was kind of how I got back in. But I'm very thankful for the time in San Francisco because – uh, I th- it kept me fresh and it kept me kind of 
you know, uh, ready to roll uh, and, and just gave me hope uh, because, uh, as you said, I kind of spent almost it was kind of like, all right, it's been about a year. Let's just hang them up. And so um, so thankful for that uh, for that time in San Fran. It, that is so often the case, right? Just when it feels like there's nowhere else to go, something happens and it changes everything. And your time in Chicago, when you had the opportunity to play, reignited a career that would last almost another 10 years. Oh, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, f- finished that year uh, on that roster and ended up starting the last two games, having fun uh, and uh, played you know, it's just funny moments. You're sitting there, you know, in Green Bay on Christmas Eve, you know, eating dinner. You remember sitting there with Roy Williams and Roy kind of going, man, this is probably my last year. So these are my last games, you know, and uh, just processing life. And like, man, I'm, you know, you're winding down. And I'm trying to get back in this thing. And Christmas night, you know, uh, you know, I was out of the league 10 weeks ago. Christmas night, I'm, I'm coaching or I'm playing at, at Lambeau Field and uh, finish that season go through go through the offseason with the with the bears same thing don't make their roster go so i get cut at the final cut down and uh my wife meets me at the airport it was a thursday night preseason game my wife my uh, fourth preseason game my wife meets me at the airport with my coaching shirt my high school coaching shirt on a friday we drive straight to the stadium changing the car drive straight to the stadium and and coach that game like it was awesome like coach that game coach the whole season same thing Two weeks in, uh, the playoffs. I think we were two round team, maybe, maybe three. I can't. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, Jay gets hurt again, and I go back yeah. to the Bears. Finish the last seven weeks there with them, and then uh, coaching change. Didn't play any snaps that year, but coaching change happens. They hire Mark Tressman, and they bring me back. And, and you know, Jay and I kind of developed a rapport there in my time, and they bring me back. And then that next, I make it through the off season, make the roster, finally make a roster again. And that's 2013. And then, you know, about halfway through, Jay goes down and, you know, kind of played the best five game stretch of my life. And yep. and to your point, kind of what what uh propelled me to to be able to play this back half of my career. And that was really connecting with Mark Tressman and the way he coached and thought about football. Everything that I'd gone through, all the coordinators and the different philosophies, and you know, a lot of times coaches, you know, that they'll they'll coach off the outcomes of plays. And so, uh, so you know, if a play is good, whether they told you to do that or not, it's like, well, good, good, good throw, buddy. It's like, well, that's not what we talked about, but it's still a good throw. And the same same thing is true with the bad throw. Well, it's a bad throw. You know, I, you know, I told you to do this. You know, Tress was more like pre-snap. This is our process. This is what we're looking at. And I needed that because I had gone through. I had changed coordinators, and I, I changed coordinators basically every year of my career since I was a junior in high school. That's crazy. Yeah. So I had been through so much. So there was a lot of. A lot of stuff going around in old Duder's head, you know. I mean, I was just, you know, a lot of, a lot of things, and uh, and so Tress really kind of quieted those voices, helped me kind of from a pre-snap standpoint think about how, you know, just taught me how to think about a play, and as it related to footwork and timing, and uh, and it led to me playing some really, really good football. And I, obviously, that group there. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Roberto Garza. We had drafted Kyle Long up front. Uh, Matt Slauson, uh, we were we were stacked up front. Uh, uh, Jamon Bushrod was a tackle. I mean, we were really we were really good up front. One of my and, favorite names in football, by the way, Jamon oh, Bushrod. I just want to be a hundred percent clear. He could only play offensive line with that name. A hundred percent, and one of the best <laughs> dudes ever, too. Like one of the best yeah. dudes. But then 
you know, Martellus Bennett was a tight end, um, and then Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey, and then Matt Forte as a running back. So we were as good of a group from a skill set standpoint that that you could have, and uh, and so it was just fun to be able to operate with that group. And um, and I just had a really really fun. And I could have like that could have been it. Like if if I could have sailed off in the sunset and been like, this is what I've been chasing for the last fifteen years was just this ability that I feel like I have that I can do this, play this game and, you know, wanting it to come, you know, to kind of crystallize. And it finally did. Um, thanks to coach Trestman and, 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 and that group. And, uh, and so, you know, finally felt like I played where I could stay somewhere and they had just paid Jay. So it didn't work out to stay, stay there, yeah. you know? So that's what I mean. You kind of get in those situations where you're like, man, some of this stuff is just not meant to be. Maybe this is the path for me is to, is to keep changing teams. And that's all right. Well, you certainly did after that. After those years in Chicago, it's Tampa Bay, Cleveland, the Jets, the Eagles, and then ended up with the Texans. Um, you know, and the, the the Cleveland image I'll always remember from you, whether it's right or wrong, fair or unfair. You know, both you and RG three were on the. T- was it twenty sixteen or twenty fifteen? Yes. I think it was twenty sixteen. I think it was yeah. twenty sixteen on the team at the same time, and in back to back games, both of you go down with shoulder slash elbow injuries. One on the left arm, one on the right arm. And yeah. like when you when you sort of asked for the picture of what the the Cleveland Browns of the 2010s would be, it would be the sight of both of you on the sidelines with both of you with a different arm in the sling. <laughs> That's about right. I mean, it was just uh, you know, it, it's not for a lack of trying, and it's not for lack yeah. of passion in that city. I promise you. One of my favorite yeah. places to play. I would say those teams you rattled off. Um, and really kind of starting with Chicago. I got a little bit of it with Raider Nation. and Detroit, we weren't good. But when you get into the Midwest and the Northeast with pro football, that, that's really experiencing pro football to me. And, uh, and um, felt it when I was in Chicago, obviously. Uh, but then even in Cleveland. I mean, just the passion that those people have, that the, the fans have for that team. Uh, and so, yeah, it wasn't we, – we gave our shoulders and elbows to the cause for sure. Um, yeah. trying to win some games there, uh, but uh, but a great place to play, uh, and and uh, you know root for them. I see them on, uh, and uh, but you know, but yeah, that was a that was a rough year, man. Well, it's one thing like there's a Ted Lasso sort of theme to your career, right? You have to keep <laughs> believing because it's one thing to be Tom Brady uh, or Peyton Manning, you know, and play forever and have all this success. It is another thing entirely, and I'm by success I mean team success. I want to be clear. Correct. It, it, it's another thing entirely to keep wanting to play, knowing the results as a unit are never what you want them to be. How did you sort of deal with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just like we, we talk about it in my, in my house and with my sons who are, who are quarterbacks. Just always believe, always believe, always believe, and 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 I think. Um, you know, life's going to put you through things and teams, team sports put you through things where it always seems dire. And, and that's really when it becomes the belief or the faith or whatever, whatever you believe in becomes real is when it's dire. It's everybody can do it when it's great. And you're right. I mean, the, and I have so much respect for Tom and for the guys that are able to do it week in and week out, just the the focus and the staying power mentally uh, to, to be able to keep accomplishing that. Um, but, but the test of, of the will to go, okay, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And, and I went through it with so many situations, as you said, whether it was 
you know, in the startup situations that I was involved in where, where, you know, it's a new head coach. There were several of those and you learn so much of it and you see the locker room and, and, you know, the coach comes in selling belief and then it doesn't go that way. And it's on the group to kind of pick that up. So we got to keep believing, we got to keep fighting like, you know, and, and, uh, and so, um, so it's a tough thing. I mean, it's not easy, but, uh, but again, I, you know, I, I would say I've, I've leaned on my faith as part of, of, as part of that journey to, to be able to keep believing in those things, because I just, I, I, I've just by nature want to believe in the good. I want to believe that, that the next thing is going to be a win. And, uh, and, you know, I've said it over and over again, like all these jerseys, every situation that I walked into, like in my heart, like, I really believed, like, I, I really believed I was taking the 2014 Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Super Bowl, you know, and we operated that way in the offseason and, and every situation, because I just, I don't, why else would you do it if you didn't? If you're like, I'm, you know, like, I, I went to Cleveland, then got cut by Cleveland and, and go to the Jets and walk in the Jets locker room. Like, in my mind, I thought, Jets about to shock the world. We're going we're gonna to win a Super Bowl this year. Like, Todd Bowles, like, this, this group of guys, we're going to take it to a Super Bowl. So, um, so I never, like, it's just not, not in me to go, man, we can't do that, you know? And, uh, and I think that's, you know, and, and hopefully one day, uh, you know, maybe I get to experience that, you know, as a coach or something, but, but just that overall team success. But I think it starts there. You have to, you have to attack these things, believe in that way um, because these years are hard and a lot of things have to go right to be successful in the NFL um, but I never wanted to walk away from a season going, man, I didn't believe like I, you know, I knew we were going to, we weren't going to be good. Like that's not, I don't know. That just, why would I do it then? Why would you do it? You might as well go home and do something else. So. Right. But there is an acceptance at some point. And you said something to me once that I thought was really good. Some teams are going to be really good every year. Some teams are going to be really bad. If it's your, if it's your job to suck, then that's the way you have to sort of deal with it. Right. A hundred percent. Like once you, once you get past, like right now, where we are in the season yeah. right now, once you get to kind of this, like, Hey man, we're one in seven. <laughs> you yeah. gonna keep believing. I'm going to keep believing. Like I'm a realist too. Yeah. Like we're one in seven, yeah. probably ain't making this thing. Now I'm going to tell you the, 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 the good guys and, and the fun teams I've been on are all the teams that go, oh, you know, like in your head, you're doing the math. Like, all right, we run the table here. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we do it. We run the table here and get in, you know, but 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 you're right, Trey. Like at, at the, you have to re, repackage it and reframe it and go. Okay, this one wasn't our year. So, and, and my philosophy has always been like, if if you're not playing for this year's playoffs, then you're playing for next year's playoffs. You know, and you need to you need to focus on the reps that you get right now. These are good reps uh, to to be able to better yourself for for next year. But um, and so you know, try to keep the group together that way and keep them fighting and keep them playing hard and 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 all those things. And, and you feel that more going back to you know, Chad Pennington's lesson he taught me just of ownership. Like it, when you're the quarterback on those teams that got to go into a stadium when you're one in 10 and you got to play that game and you're getting evaluated, you go, okay, you know, I got to get these guys to believe it's worth playing right now. And, yeah. and so it just, it takes, that's a lot of work. It takes a lot of conver- a lot of connecting in the locker room, a lot of conversations on the, you know, at lunch at, you know, just, Hey, you know, need your juice this week, need, need, need your energy this week. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, but it's, but there's also a realization of like, there's only going to be, there's only so many uh, playoff teams. Once you're not in that group, how do you refocus? How do you reframe that? And it's, it's no similar, no, no, no different than, uh, you know, a quarterback going, okay. Or a player, you know, tell, have these conversations all the time with young players. Like you're going to look around the landscape of the league. Okay. Much like I did. And you're going to go, okay, I'm not a franchise guy. All right, I'm on my third team. I'm on my fourth team. I'm not a franchise guy. So I can pack up and go home or I can try to make a career for myself 
as as something else, you know, as a backup quarterback. It's the same thing for a team. You know, I, we didn't, we weren't good this year. Like we, we can, we can, you know, repackage this thing and go, okay, what's the best, the next best thing, and uh, and so you know, try to do it with those teams as best we could. Some some of those situations are a lot harder than others. Like you mentioned, the Cleveland year. I mean, we we beat San Diego, you know, to get our first win. I don't know what week that was, and I just remember like it was like. That locker room, like it was, you would have thought we won a Super Bowl, like just so emotional, and it was special to us. And I'll never ever forget that. Like it was, and I think I, like you said, I think I had my arm in a sling. Um, but it was just, it was a cool moment. And and you take those away. And there's not a super. You don't get a ring for that. Although they probably should give us a ring for that. You don't get a <laughs> ring for that. But uh, but it was just special, you know. And yeah. so uh, a lot of those, a lot of those down that stretch. That's the beauty of the game, man. Like you're in this together and it's the only way it's going to work. Um, all right. Why don't we take our final break here with Josh McCown. When we come back, we'll talk about what's ahead for him and, and what he sees going forward. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Time now for the answer to our Mercedes Benz trivia question. We wanted to know which team did Josh McCown throw the most touchdowns for and which receiver caught the most of those touchdown passes? Well, they're sort of the same thing. He threw the most touchdown passes for the team that drafted him, the Arizona Cardinals, with 25. And almost half of those touchdown passes were thrown to the all-time great Larry Fitzgerald with 12. And now back to more of our Half Forgotten History episode with Josh McCown. All right, back with Josh McCown on Half Forgotten History. So in a dream scenario for you, having gone through the career uh, that you did, could you envision yourself getting back into the NFL and being a full-time coach somewhere or is, are you content with the things you're doing now? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly open to that. Um, for sure. Uh, I think I look at that kind of that back half of my career and, and some of the, some of the men, the coaches that I had in my life, um, and just, Hey, you need to really think about this. And I, and I always kind of thought, you know, what, I, I don't, I don't think I'll ever coach, um, uh, just because of, you know, uh, the family dynamic, it, it does require a lot. Um, but, uh, but my kids are all, you know, I was able to play long enough. My kids are, you know, almost all out of the house. And, uh, yeah. so I, I do think there's a day, um, that I, that I'll pursue that. Um, I just want to be around the game, um, uh, you know, yeah. doing some stuff now with, with underdog fantasy, you know, doing a show, a podcast called scheme where we break down, you know, we break down, uh, players and plays and, and different things going on. And I'm having a blast doing that. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know, uh, exactly what the future holds. Um, but, uh, but it'd be hard to say that I won't, you know, find myself on a field somewhere, you know, wanting to coach just, it, it's just the guys, Trey, it's the guys, man. Yeah. And just being in that room and, and being a part of that and, and, uh, the joy of, 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 of an off season of going, okay, you know, here's, here's our team. This is how it's being put together. This is, you know, this is the mountain we're trying to climb and journeying with that group uh, is, is special and, and there's nothing like it. And, and, and unless you're in it, it's hard to, it's hard to replicate it. And, uh, and so I've, you know, been coaching high school football the last few years, been able to coach my sons, which is very special. And, and you, and you certainly get that same feeling um, uh, too, when, when you do that. So uh, I, I'm, I'm open to everything. Uh, I really am. It's, it's, uh, I have, you know, the old saying, you know, we plan and God laughs. I think probably that's probably yeah. the best phrase to, to sum up my career because, uh, all these daggum jerseys on the wall, it's like, um, you know, there was never, never one place that we got to stay. And so I, I don't think we've ever 
kind of narrowed into saying, hey, we're going to do this and that's going to happen. So I'm open to everything. Um, but uh, but I do hope and, and I, I do believe there will be I will be around the game for sure. Well, I have to ask this question because and I'll be honest with you, I'm asking it with a with a preconceived notion. Is there a guy playing in the NFL right now who a either sort of reminds you of how you played or B, you see their career sort of unfolding the way your career unfolded. Cause I, I have one in mind, but I want to, I want to hear if it's the same one. Oh, wow. Um, and by the way, you guys are nothing alike physically. I want you guys, uh, it, it, you're nothing alike physically <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, that's a great question. I mean, I, I look at some of the, some of the veteran backups now, and I would say, um, you know, just the approach, uh, so it's it's hard to say. I mean, whether it's like a like a Teddy Bridgewater down in Miami or Case Keenum up in Buffalo, um, that are that are guys that you see them uh, enjoying the game and putting their arm around the young the young player and, and doing everything they can to help them. I, I tell you what, uh, Trey, I, I liked uh, Taylor Heineke last night. The boom, the, uh, see, we're like this. That's exactly yeah. who I was thinking of. That's exactly yeah. who I was thinking of. Cut four times, and it's just. Doing whatever he can to hang on and make just enough plays. Yeah, well, and and you know, playing playing good good ball last night, and you know, yeah. there with my, with my buddy Carson Wentz, and they're in that room together. And I just loved, I loved his heart after the game. They said, "Well, you know, you who, you should you be the starter? Whatever's best for the team, whatever the coach decides, whatever's the best for the team. If I'm supposed to be out there, I'll be out there." And, and I, you know, I said that at times what I want, you know, what I hope people hear when they say, when you hear that, that that's a guy that loves his team and he really yeah. believe he wants it the best for his team and doesn't mean that Taylor Heineke is not a competitor. If you don't think Ty, Taylor Heineke doesn't want to be the starting quarterback, you're crazy. He absolutely wants to be the starting quarterback, but he, but also running parallel to that feeling is he absolutely loves his team and he wants that team to be successful. And he believes so much in the concept of team that he says, whatever the coach says is best, I'm all for and I'm, I'm with that. And I just appreciated that so much from him last night of just saying, if it's, if I got to back up Carson, I'll back him up and be the best I can be. If I got to start, I'll, I'll, I'll step out there and be the best I can be for my team. So, um, so I just appreciate that. Uh, and I loved watching, loved watching that from him last night. It's kind of what Tony Romo had to deal with in Dallas when he got injured in the preseason in 2016. And then Dak just took off and he, he had that press conference and he's like, look, I want to play. But Dak has earned the right to lead this team. It's it's sort of the same concept, right? I agree. And I, I remember talking when we played them that year. And I remember talking with Tony afterwards and just giving him a hug and sharing that with him. Like, dude, I appreciate that so much. Like, um, just just the maturity, just the just and the selflessness to to say that. And this guy, you know, it, it's like for for Taylor Heineke to say it or for me to say it. You know, it's like, dude, you've been on, you've been cut four times. You've been on, like that dude is the Cowboys at, at, at that time. Tony Romo yeah. was the Cowboys, you know. So, uh, so I think you know, in, incredible humility on his part to to be able to share those thoughts and and uh, had a ton of respect for him for that. So, is Ryan Fitzpatrick the second coming of Josh McCown, or is Josh McCown <laughs> modeling his career after Ryan Fitzpatrick? I don't well, know. Technically, I'm older. Okay. Yeah. All right. But, I, but I will tell so but I'll tell you this, a quick one. All right. Detroit had Mike Martz and Mike had drafted uh Mike was our OC and he drafted yeah. Ryan, Ryan at the Rams. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I think we were getting ready to play the Rams or either we were playing an opponent and Ryan so the defense so they had just played the Rams. So we were watching 
the Rams offense versus the defense that we're getting ready to play. And Ryan was playing and he I remember I remember Mike pausing the tape and saying, This guy right here, this guy's gonna be a really, really good player and he's gonna play a long time. And uh and um he just he had so much belief in in Fitzy. And uh so Fitzy's younger, so uh, but he, uh, but he had a lot more success. So I would say, uh, I, I would hate to say that he modeled his game after me. Um, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget old Mikey Martz calling, calling a shot on Fitzy and saying how good he was going to be. Well, listen, I, I think the universe might implode if at one time both you and Ryan Fitzpatrick were on the same roster. I'm not sure the world could handle that karma. It, it, right? it just it, no, it, it really couldn't. It really couldn't. There's not, you know, and there's. I mean, I think in order for that to happen, you'd have to carry two starting quarterbacks because we can't back with the same guy. So, <laughs> Well, listen, Josh, uh, I, I really appreciate the time. I always respected your journey, and I respected the way that you comported yourself and carried yourself because it's not easy. Like, all you guys are alpha males. Like, everybody wants to play, but the reality of how you have to deal with that versus the expectations of the situation – that's not the easiest thing to do, and you always handle that with grace. Awesome. Thank you so much, Trey. I appreciate it. Great questions, great stories that I hadn't thought about in a long time, so I really enjoyed this. Well, be well, and don't be surprised if we, we call you again sometime soon, okay? Love it. So once again, thanks to Josh McCown. Uh, so many great stories. Really enjoyed catching up with him, his unbelievable career, all the highs and the lows and all the stuff in between. By the way, a special thanks to our sponsors this season, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans. But coming up next week, the season finale in Half Forgotten History, it's a Manning, the one who's found a way to shine after football and by not playing football. Cooper Manning is our guest next week. We'll see you then.